Romans chapter number 5. 46. Lesson 46 in our Roman study. And uh, <clears throat> we're still on page 1. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. The, the, the guys on Monday night, because we're going through Romans as well, and uh, they're like, man, we got one word done tonight. Woohoo! I'm like, yeah, there you go. And so, but uh, who? Oh, no, no, we're not kidding. All right, Romans 5. Uh, <clears throat> let, uh, we'll start reading in verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And uh, we've been through those verses uh, extensively, and I told you we're going a little slower through this because this information, especially in chapter 4 and chapter 5, or the back half of 3, 4, and 5, is literally the groundwork being laid by Paul for all of the future information that he's, sound doctrine that he's going to deliver. He, he anticipates you knowing this information. Um, when, he, when we move into chapters 6, 7, and 8, and we get into the next foundational block of Romans, where we're talking about our walk, our grace walk, and our life, and our identity, and so forth, when we're doing that, then he anticipates you knowing this. Notice verse 1, therefore being justified. The assumption is what? You're justified, okay? If you're not justified, you're lost, but you've got to go back to chapter 1 and start over, okay? So uh, somebody asked, we were talking the other day about how many churches Paul founded and so forth, and Paul did not spend 10 years in a location, 20 years. He spent months, weeks. To, to, so he doesn't, he, Paul, he, Paul was not a hugger. He wasn't a very affectionate guy when you read through stuff. Now, he did have emotions. He had tears for Timothy and so forth. But Paul was a put up or shut up type of guy, Okay. And that comes from his upbringing, quite honestly. Uh, when you get into the history of uh, Gamaliel and those guys, they didn't put up with a lot of nonsense. They're either you get it or you don't because we're moving on, and you just catch up when you can and where you can. And people go, well, he was rude. You know, all the, you know people today, I, I have a message I preached 15 years ago. Paul doesn't want any wimpy believers because, because it's, we're in it. We're soldiers, we're in for the fight, and we're going. So he doesn't spend, but he lays in this information. And, and I'll be honest with you, if you think about the book of Romans, written in Acts 19, Acts 20, 21, right in there, he's been preaching this information since day one. He gets this stuff on the road to Damascus. This is the information revealed to him. He, he's shown this. And if Paul can get it right away, guess what you and I ought to be able to do? Get it right away. And I know we get a little thick-headed. We have that religion bag baggage and so forth. But you know what Paul says? I more. You think you had it? I had it more than you had it. So, you know, you, I look at that and I go, wow, what a testimony. And why are we so slow in it, you know? <laughs> I had a guy ask me one time, man, Rick, you go over this stuff over and over again. Why? I said, because you're thick-headed. And so am I. You know, and it takes a little work. But the thing is, is he says, hey, here's your benefits of being justified. And so we spent some time in verse 1 and 2 um, because I, I don't want to just run through this. We have. Here's the present possession. What do we have? Peace with God. We have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And then we have hope. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we looked at those three benefits. Then last time we also started in verse 3, and that's where we're at. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Paul takes us right up to our hope, up in the high, up in the heavenly places, up where we have this hope of glory. We're participating with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We're up there with him. And then it seems like Paul just brings us right down into the gutter, the tribulation. 
And in reality, he doesn't. There's a connection between the glory and the tribulation. And that issue of that tribulation also, knowing that tribulation, what? Works. And I began with you last time talking about the, uh, the, the, the three R's of the tribulation. The reality of it, the results of it, and the reward of it. And that's what we're dealing with here. Last time we dealt with the, the reality. They are real. Um, Paul, over there, we looked at the passage. He says, we must through much tribulation, Acts 14. Philippians, he tells the Philippians that it was a gift. Your justification was a gift. So are the afflictions and the tribulations. They're gifts. And what happens is, is what Paul is doing here is he's drilling into you a divine viewpoint about your identity and who you are and what you have. And uh, I know the world's viewpoint. Usually when the world's viewpoint on tribulation is what do you do? Run from it. Or when the tough gets going, or when, when the tough going gets tough, the what? The tough get going, you know, that type of attitude. Um, what doesn't kill you builds what? Character, you know. Just motor, th and that's really not the divine viewpoint. It's not the viewpoint in Scripture. And what does the Lord say? What does Scripture say about tribulations? Well, He says you're going to have it. You're in chapter five. Look over at chapter eight. Chapter eight, verse eighteen. And and what you have to do is you have to under you have to remember when you're in tribulations. Romans five three. <laughs> you have to remember this stuff. And we'll look at some of that here as we go forward. Uh, 8.18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Again, there's a connection between our suffering, our present distress, and the glory that's coming our way. But this time, the dispensation of grace has been, is described as a dispensation of suffering. It's what it is. There's a reality to it. And come, when you come back to five, chapter 5, verse 3, God says, you know what you need to do? You need to have a divine viewpoint. We need to sh so he says, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. <laughs> Excuse me. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto you. So now we have the results of it. Reality, it's there. And by the way, it stinks, doesn't it? When tribulation comes up, sure. It's not, he, he's not telling you don't, don't let it impact you or, or just you know, don't, don't, don't recognize the hurt that happens. He's like, have a viewpoint about it, though. Have an understanding, because we know what is it going to work. It's going to work what? Patience. All right, so we have the reality. You guys are sleeping on me. Now we're going to have the results, all right, and then we'll talk about the reward. In the results, we're going to have patience, right? Patience come there, in patience, there is great comfort. That should be a C. In the Holy Spirit, there's great comfort there that comes along. So when God says, tribulation worketh patience, there's comfort because we have the Holy Spirit. So then when he says, patience works what? experience, well, that's what do we have? We have comfort in the Holy Spirit, but we also have available to us the life that's in Christ that we have. Then he says patience works experience, and experience works hope. And in hope, that's that issue of the glory of God. 
So when you begin to have this work out here, what is the tribulation? The question is not, did God do this to me? Remember we went back into Exodus back there, or into Deuteronomy 28, and, we, and I showed you the if and the then, and when the people in the world see you, they saw Paul beat up and run down, and he says, see, God's against him, look at him, and they pulled the Deuteronomy 28 thing, that if God was with you and for you, you would be healed, and you'd be protected, you'd have health and wealth and all that, we talked about that, and yet, we'll look at what Paul, what was Paul? Paul comes out of the Mediterranean Sea naked, no clothes on him. He's destitute now. And they say, see, that's God punishing him and getting him. See, that's the world's view. God says, no, your view is this. You have a resource. We have an availability, a a resource available to us. It's called the comfort of the Holy Spirit, It's called the life of Christ, that now we are able to go and enjoy and experience this and have a, have a, become the victory. Over in Romans 8, we're going to see, he says, you're more than conquerors. Now, we're not there yet, but you're going to get there because what are you learning now? How to think down through the issues. And he says also, by the way, what's available to you is that glory component over there. And all of these are available, but they're available in that inner man and in the inner man process. That's God's viewpoint. Now, watch verse 3, 5-3. But we glory in tribulations. And again, we looked at this last time, not in spite of it, but rather in it. Again, it doesn't mean we enjoy it. We're not looking forward to it. We're not, he's not talking about being a sadomasochist, you know, just bring it on, man. Hit me again, you know. Take a two-by-four up against the head. One more time, please, just for good measure. No, he's not talking about that at all. He's rather talking about glory in it. Look at the value that's in it. Look at the, the worth that's there. And when we view it that way, Okay, not what is God trying to teach us and get even with us and, and do it the way religion says. But all right, Lord, I have an opportunity now to access by faith this grace I stand in. See, I have an opportunity to access the comfort, the life, and the glory. I have an opportunity now in time, in my life, to take all the sound doctrine that I have in my inner man and let it work. I had a guy one time ask me, he goes, Rick, when does all this stuff work? And I told him, I said, when you get out of the way. Because if you're standing there trying to do it yourself, you know what grace says? I'll sit right here, I'll wait till you get done, because grace is no more what? Work. Romans eleven six, If it's grace, it's no more work. And grace will sit there and let you beat your head up against that wall to your bloody black and blue. It's never going to stop you. That's the issue. That's the glorying in it. We don't fall apart, but rather we allow our inner man to function. And when that happens, what do we have? We have victory. So how do you do that? That's always the question. It's always a question I ask myself. I study. I was working on for next hour, and I'm going down through, and I got all this information, and I'm like, all right, how do I make this down to here? (laughs) Okay? How does this work? Well, verse 3 tells you. What's after that word also? Colon, then what? What's the word? Knowing. We are to know something. So we're going to have to educate our inner man. We're going to have to come along and learn something. We're going to have to put aside the worldly view, and we're going to have to pick up the divine viewpoint when it comes to this issue. We're going to have to allow the Word of God, God, to teach us how we can look at the tribulation and see the value in it. 
So we're going to have to learn how to properly respond. And when I say, I keep saying learn, because what's our natural reaction to it? Make a back door where there is no back door. Or, why me, Lord? What did I do? What are you trying to, you know, we pull all those scenarios in, and Paul's saying, no, you need to learn this. We need to learn that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We need to learn. And you know what? Paul had to learn. And that, that's the wonderful thing. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We were here last time, and we're going to spend some more time here, because this verse 9 is, lo is a loaded verse. Paul had to learn Romans 5. Paul had to learn. He had to know something about how to have the proper view when it came to tribulations. You got 2 you got Second Corinthians 12? Go to chapter 1, just real quick. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1, chapter 1. <clears throat> if you look at uh, verse 8 there. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. This is Acts 19. Remember in Acts 19, they, he had that big uproar at Ephesus. Queen of Diana... And the silversmith, 2 Corinthians 1.8. That's where we're at, okay? I know I threw you a curveball. Come on now. It's only Sunday morning. 2 Corinthians 1.8. All right? And they were out looking for him, getting him. And he says that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, and so much that we despaired even of life. But we had a sent the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. But what did he learn? We're, who are we going to trust? But in God, which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. How does Paul, Paul has learned how God delivers him. You know? He had to learn that. Ye also, verse 11, helping together by prayer for us. Isn't that interesting? They were praying for Paul, and they said that helped us. It gave us some encouragement. Now come over to chapter 12. So Paul had to learn this. And, and you know what's wonderful about our apostle? He's just like you and I. And it's wonderful to, to know that Paul did not always walk consistently in the doctrine, just as you and I don't. Paul had to be reminded. Paul had to come along and learn. He had to be instructed, Philippians, he says over there. I was instructed and I learned that in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know, that's great. That's a great comfort. Here, here is our great apostle. And you know what? He's a like man, passion of my own passion. He has the same issues you have. Now, if the apostle... And, and by the way, God never struck him down dead for not walking consistent. But you know what he did do? He reminded him. And that's what God's word does for you and I, is what? Reminds us. Look, if you will, at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, you have to remember, Paul, verse 7. Unless Paul's been caught up, he's been given a, 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 a wonderful revelation. And he comes down, verse 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Notice Paul says, what was given to me? A what? Thorn in the flesh. Now, have you ever had a splinter? that was not little but big and then gets infected and your finger or thumb blows up, you know, you just kind of ding it and, you know, it's like the roof fell in on you. That's what a thorn, you think about a thorn, a splinter getting in you and you can't get it out. I had a one in my hand and it got infected and it got down deep in there 
And I just looked at Linda and I said, just dig it out. Just get it out. Because it, it festered up and it hurt. And it was right on my thumb, you know. And she's like, all right, this is going to hurt. And I went, oh, she goes, I ain't even touching you yet, you know. <laughs> I was like, I'm anticipating, you know. I'm getting, an, I'm getting a good yelp in first, okay. I'm warming up. I'm practicing. That's a thorn in the flesh. In other words, Paul felt this. It wasn't that he was looking for it, but it was given to him. So what does he say, verse 8? For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. By the way, it hurt him so bad that he begged God three times to let it go. And now here's a man, you go back there to chapter 11, and you look down from about verse 23 down. Here's a man that understood what it was to get hurt, beaten and left for all this stuff, the list there. He wasn't over here crying because he got a little splinter from a, a, a board. This hurt, and it hurt so deeply that he begged God three times to remove it. Again, Paul's not always walking consistent with the doctrine, but it's legitimate. So verse 9, what does he say? God's response. What does he say? My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what Paul, you know what God says to Paul? He's reminding him, my grace is sufficient. See that? Paul needed a reminder. By the way, the answer to all of our prayers is the first five words of that verse. And he said unto me, what does the word of God say to you about whatever you're praying? What, what did the word of God say to Paul when he asked for some relief from the trouble? My grace is sufficient for thee, for, in, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Now, that's a reminder. Now watch Paul's response to the reminder. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That, the intent, why? The power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice what Paul says in response to God saying, look, Paul, you have all the resources, you have all the provisions, sufficiency. You have it all. That word sufficient, able to stand alone, make it stand there. You're sufficient. And Paul's response is, is rather than have God remove the problem now, Notice what he says there. Most gladly, therefore, will I, what? Rather, Paul, I'm choosing, I'm making a decision here, than that rather than have God remove the problem, replace it, I'm going to adjust my old way of thinking, that desire to have it fixed. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to glory in my infirmities. You see how he's doing that? He's not sitting there going, he's already asked the Lord three times, take it away, take it away, take it away, just get it out. And the Lord says, Paul, remember, my grace is sufficient. Remember, Paul, who you are in Christ. Remember, Paul, I have made you, I have equipped you completely. And Paul goes, oh, yeah, that's right, I forgot, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Lord, I forgot. I'm going to rather glory in it now. You know what, Lord, leave it there. I'll deal with it. I'll work through it so that I can glory in my infirmities. Because when I glory, I see the value, the worth in it. I see the profit in the infirmity now. You see, when, when you're in trouble, the way God would have you view it is this way. You know what? When, by the way, he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That is an interesting way to say that to me. If you let your eye run across the page to chapter 13 and verse number 4, for though he was crucified through, what, weakness, yet he liveth by 
the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. See, he, how was, when Christ was crucified, what was he? He is weak. That's how Satan could come and stand and the foe, the adversary come and be able to go to battle with him. Because he was weak. And God says, hey, in, my strength is made perfect in your what? Weakness. Why? That the power of God may rest upon me. That's fantastic. Paul doesn't say, adversary builds character. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Toughen it up, buttercup. Let's go. He doesn't say that. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Rather, he says, you know what? I'm going to change my viewpoint about this, and I can glory in that. I'd rather glory. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That, the intent. Now watch 12.10. Therefore... Because I've adjusted my old way of thinking to a new way of thinking, <laughs> I went from world viewpoint to divine viewpoint. Because I have been reminded of the, of the assets and the, the wealth and the worth that I have, therefore, I take, what a nutcase, the world would say, to take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. What, look, why is he strong in what looks to be weak? By the way, in the persecutions, in the reproaches, in the, all of the, that list there, Paul is weak. Chapter 1, we were nigh unto death. We, death was at our door. We had resigned to being killed. We don't get there, you know. We don't understand that. But he was there. And he says, you know what? For when I am weak, then am I strong. Why? Well, the end of verse 9 there, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Again, chapter 5, verse 3. Knowing, we have to know. We, we, we have to understand that we examine the trouble always in the light of the truth, of sound doctrine, of the word rightly divided. We don't run back to Deuteronomy 28 and say, okay, God, you're trying to teach me something here, but I've been doing, you know, I've even upped my giving just to make sure, cover all bets, you know. No, we have to understand that, hey, the reproaches come, the trouble comes. Because it's real, man. It's coming. But I have a results of it. And I have a way of adjusting my thing. Why? Because what do I know? That tribulation works. Patience, experience, and hope. Verse number 9, he says, my grace. You know, see, God's going to provide something here. He's equipping. He has equipped the believer, that issue there in verse 9, the power of Christ, there's the provision. He makes it available. What did 5.2 say? We have access by faith into this what? Grace. Then he says, my grace. You see, we have some equipping here that allows us to accept the reality of the tribulation. It's going to happen. And if you want to give a few extra dollars, no, I'm just kidding. That ain't going to happen, right? No. It's going to happen. And when we get over into Romans 8, we'll look at the different categories of tribulations. 80 talks about the sin-cursed creation. Galatians 6, he talks about you're going to reap what you sow. And, you know, if you sow to the flesh, you're of the flesh going to reap corruption. That's making bad decisions. You know, and over to Timothy, he says, yea, all those who will live godly shall you choose to live God's life style, <laughs> live as who you are in Christ. You're going to see those are the big, broad categories. Most of our trouble comes because we just make bad decisions about things, honestly. 
And guess what? God isn't going to reach down and move them. He's going to say, look at it appropriately. Glory in it. Look at the value that's in it. Because guess what? My grace is sufficient. We've been equipped with the ability to accept the reality. By the way, my grace, he, people have an idea about God's grace that he's going to reach down and zap them, you know, and zap and do. And he's like, no. There's an available resource that we have, and it's called grace. So what is grace? Well, it's all that God has done or will do on our behalf. It's that simple. You know, I know people, Christ, God's riches at Christ's expense. and Okay, but it's much more than that. It's literally a, a whole thing. You know, in your justification, it is God's riches at Christ's expense because it cost him his life. In our walk, grace is grace rightly applied changes everything. How do you like that one? In our future, that word grace is glorious revelation that accomplished Christ's exaltation. See, so grace is what? It's all that God has been able to do for you. Past, present, and future. Come, come over to 1 Corinthians 15. So, we've already been introduced in Romans 5 to this issue of, in a grace, by acts, by faith, into this grace wherein we, what? Stand. Now Paul says, okay, we're going to learn that tribulation's going to work. It's going to work. And what's it going to work? It's going to work some things. It's going to cause us to reach into, it's going to cause us to access that grace. So he says, God reminds him, my grace is sufficient. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 10. 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's where they get the Popeye the sailor man from. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Notice, now, we've already learned in Romans 1, it was by God's grace that Paul was called to be an apostle. But notice what Paul says in that verse, at the end of that verse. But the grace of God which was with me. It's always there. The grace of God doesn't come in and ebb in when you're doing good and ebb out when you ain't doing good. See? See? That's religion talk. God's grace has been what? It's sufficient. It's always there. It never leaves you. And that's what Paul's learning. That's what he's being reminded of. When God says, my grace is sufficient, in Romans 5 there, when he says, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, God says, you are already in that position. Don't leave the position you're in. We tend to, Drift over here, drift over there, you know. And God says, no, come back, <laughs> come back, come back, <laughs> come back. It's right here. Stay where you belong. Why was Paul able to labor more abundantly than they all? Verse 10. Why was he able to do that? Why was he able to go in and tell the Thessalonians, you know what kind of workers we were when we showed up. We didn't require of you to take care of us, which was the accusation that the opponents of Paul laid out there was that, hey, when he shows up into your neighborhood, he's going to demand you put him up at the Hyatt Hotel and take care of him and at the five-star dinners and all this stuff. And Paul says, no, that's not, no, I didn't, I came in and worked among you. Paul literally, with his own two hands, built the building, the place that the Thessalonians actually were meeting in. He went in and worked. He labored among them. What, what got him there? What made him, what, how was he able to do that? 
Could you imagine when you, you know the opposition? You go read 1 Thessalonians 1. They've received the word from them in much affliction. You go read the account in Acts 17 when he goes into Thessalonica. He's got to run to Berea because the Jews are coming to get him. The lewd men of the baser sorts are coming. And yet, what did he do? I labored among you. Not only was he giving them the word, he's down there pounding the nails with them. And he says, look, guys, how can he do that? Because the grace of God was what? Was with him. Come over to 2 Corinthians 2. 2 Corinthians, when we studied 2 Corinthians a few years ago, I told you 2 Corinthians is probably one of the most dark, it is the darkest book in Paul's epistles. Because you get a look into his thinking, into his ministry, into his life. You get a look into his struggles. Everybody loves, you know, oh, oh, 2 Corinthians. It's a tough book when you, because of, it's a personal book. He says, hey, you're in 2 Corinthians If you look back up there at verse 13, Paul says, I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. And you know what he's leaving? Verse 12, an open door down in Troas to preach the gospel. He literally said, guys, I am out of here. And he booked it to Macedonia. You go over in chapter 7 where this picks up, and he finds relief. He's fighting's within, fears without. And you see this dark picture of Paul getting sucked down into a depressed state, as we would say today. By the way, Paul never calls it that. He just says it was where I was at. Now I'm, now I'm good. Verse 16. I'm sorry, uh, verse 16. Notice this verse carefully. Well, verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. By the way, what Paul does from 2.14 to chapter 7, over there, verse 5 and 6 area, is he tells you how to get out of the funk of verse 13. You know how you get out of your funk? Quit thinking about yourself. That's how you get out of it. That's all depression is, is a pity party. It's all that it is. When you boil it down to everything... I've read the books, I've read the doctors, I've read the research. You boil it down, you're just thinking about yourself. He says, no, we triumph where? Verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. So to the lost and to the unsaved, I'm sorry, to the lost and to the saved, we're going to have an impact. Verse 16, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to another the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Boy, what a question. To the unsaved world out there, you know what we are? We're death unto death. You guys are foolish. You believe in a dead Jew that hung on a tree, a cross. How stupid can you guys be? How, what a bunch of idiots you are to believe that nonsense. Don't you know that that book you call the Bible is a bunch of fables written by a bunch of old men in a cave back in, in the back end of, you know, wherever? You don't believe they say that. You haven't been talking to people. It's unsaved people, I should say. You guys are, what do you mean you believe in a, in a guy that, by the way, he's a Jew, remember. No, they don't like the fact that he was a Jew. He hung and died, and you say he was resurrected, but we really know the truth. They just hid his body over behind the cottonwoods over there so everybody would think it. They were in cohorts with the Roman government. We know the truth. It's like, whoa, what do they see when they look at you and I? We have a stench of what? That's that savor, a smell, an odor of death. Well, what does 1 Corinthians 1 say? The preaching to the world out there is what? Foolishness. <laughs> right? But notice the verse 16. And to the other, the savor of life. Unto... Boy, you talk talking to believers now, and guess what we are? Now we got that odor of what? Of life. But the question is what I'm after. Who is sufficient for these things? Isn't that wonderful? 
Who is sufficient? Who is able to stand and to go through that? Usually what happens is, is as soon as somebody cries, you know, rains down on our little parade, we're and off in the corner we go. Who is sufficient? Chapter 3. Watch him answer you, verse 5. Why? He begins in chapter 3 to answer this question. Who is sufficient? Chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Where is our sufficiency? In God, in Christ, right? So when he says, who is, a, who is sufficient, who's able, well, not me and my own, but me and who? Me and Christ. Me and God, we're sufficient. My grace is sufficient. That ability, sufficient, that ability to keep going. When the whole world thinks you're a, but nothing but a waste of time. What do you mean you go to church sit in a building, have a guy teach you out of a book, and you willingly sit there for three hours, 9.30 to 12.30. What is wrong with you? I asked, a guy asked me that one time. I said, well, what's wrong with you to go sit at a football game for four hours or a baseball game for six hours, get drunk, walk out, puke all over your car, get in your car, drive down the street and get pulled over for dr driving drunk, because guess what the police know you're going to do? And then you call me to come bail you out, which I did not. I said, now who's foolish? And he goes, good point. <laughs> Too late, though. Yeah, exactly. No. What a, look at that verse 5. Our sufficiency is of God. Why is that? Chapter 4. Why is that? Verse 7. But we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of who? Of God and not of who? Us. Hey, the, the whole folk, you're, he's adjust. Tribulation is going to work some things here. And we need to adjust our thinking because we have this grace that we're, that's sufficient and we're able to stand in. Now, drop down to verse 15, chapter 4, 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Notice this, for all things. Now the question is, is okay, what are the all things, right? Well, the all things have a context. Starts in verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Notice all the list there in verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. All the things that you're going through. Paul says, all the things that I'm going through, verse 12, is for your sake. Why? Because in chapter 1, we learn that he's the pattern. He's, the, he's our illustration. Verse 15, all those things are for what? Your sake. Why? That the abundant grace, how much grace? Abundant, overflowing. The available resource that he, that we have to access, that Paul is accessing in the all things, the trouble, the distress, the per, all of that. By the way, notice Paul didn't run from it. Okay, Lord, uncle, 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 I got it. He didn't say, no. He didn't say, you know, trouble builds character or all that stuff. He says, you know what, I get an opportunity in, in the moment to access this abundant grace. Boy, what motivation. <laughs> abundant, it's overflowing. The available resources that, that works. And it's to be 
enjoyed. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You see, it's sufficient. You know what, folks? You don't need anything else. You just have to, what? Know. You got to learn. For the last 10 years, we've been here almost 10 years, I have stressed over and over to know who you are in Christ. Why? Some of it's just right here. It's an abundant resource. 6.1, what then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in what? In vain. Verse 4, but in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much what? Oh, there's our word, patience. In afflictions, in necessities, in distress, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. Grace. What did Paul ask? Who's sufficient? Well, we are in God's grace. And what we need to do, come over to chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians, is we need to adjust our thinking. And what we need is the grace that enables us to get down and to do what Paul just listed in chapter 6 there in verse 4 and 5. Don't have the grace of God in vain, but no, man, go down there as the ministers of God and do it in all patience, in afflictions, in necessities. When you're in those moments, you know who you need to be? And remember, I'm the minister of God. I'm the ambassador for Christ. So guess what? I have, an ac- I have a resource that I can access and go and be. Chapter 9, verse 8. Great verse. Chapter 9 and verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So able to stand alone lacking nothing. All sufficiency. In what? All grace. In what? All things. By the way, the good work in the list here is giving. So the offering box is in the back. So let's abound. Okay? Right? That's what the, all, that's what the good work is. But he says, you know what? You know why you have that, uh, that wonderful opportunity to give to the ministry of the, of the Lord? It's because look at what you have. You have all sufficiency. You have all grace. You have everything. We have to understand that what we have. Go back to Romans 5. We have a complete standing in Christ. We have a perfect identity in Christ. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. We are accepted in the who? The beloved. Boy, the one that want the beloved one, the one that God the Father's heart just skips a beat when he sees. Guess what? His heart skips a beat when he sees you because your identity is in him. And you know what? We are forgiven. Acceptance and forgiven, the two biggins. He says, you got them. And when we understand what we have, what more does he have to give us? We belong to him eternally. We know who we are. We know how God's working today. We know where we're going. We know God's purpose, his plan. We know how to think about things and register down through. We have each other. We have the complete indwelling of the Godhead. What more can you... You've got all this resource. And when we, by faith, access it, access all that we possess, and when we allow the truth of God's Word, rightly divided, the sound doctrine, to work in the moment, then... 5-3, tribulation worketh what? Patience. Then patience shows up. Patience, the 
power to endure. I have a note here, peace under pressure. The capacity to endure without complaint, without rage, without woe is me's. The ability to cope, the ability to bear it, the ability to endure. Come over to chapter 12 of Romans. We'll get patience here and then we'll get the rest of them next week, I hope. (laughs) I hope, I hope, I hope. The clock ticks quicker than my brain moves, I guess. Romans 12, look at verse 12. Look at Romans 12, 12. Rejoicing in hope, patient in what? Where does pa- where's patience located? Not in the line at Starbucks. Come on, idiot. Why do- I, we were in McDonald's this morning. The guy in front of me, he's like, I want a cheese McMuffin thing. No cheese. What? Come on, man. This is McDonald's. It's not having, it's not Burger King. You know, and we're just there for some coffees. You know, it's like, really, dude, you're holding up the whole line, changing it. Come on, man. It's, that's not where patience lies. Now, that's a good training ground. I always say it's my tribulation because I'm at McDonald's. <laughs> you know, patient lies where? In tribulation. Chapter 15. You have to remember that. When tribulation shows up, the first thing that goes to work is what? Patience. I gotta endure this. I have to, I have the 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 capacity, the ability to cope and to bear it. And by the way, I do with McDonald's because Linda's sitting there going, be quiet. He can hear you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. 15-4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through what? Patience and what? Comfort of who? The scriptures. See that? Patience and comfort of the scriptures. Folks, you and I have the ability to endure in the tribulation, not to be overthrown, not to work it out on our own strength, but to come along and to have some patience with the comfort because the scriptures are there. And who's working through the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Verse 13, 15:13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in what? Do you know you have no joy and no peace if you don't believe what the Word of God says to you, rightly divided? Oh, but yes, it does, Rick. Boy, I love Psalms. You got no joy and no peace reading Psalms. But it's so beautiful. I know it is. But it is no peace. It's peace in believing. Now, keep reading. That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. 1513, the joy and peace. It comes from what? Patience and comfort of the Scriptures. It comes from working through and understanding that you have this resource that I'm able to reach over and say, okay, so holy, you, know what the, you know what the Holy Spirit does? First Thessalonians. Let's go there. Quick, quick, quick. First Thessalonians 2. First Thessalonians 2. We've got to go here in just a minute anyway. First Thessalonians 2.13. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He comes along and he provides specific doctrines to address the specific dilemma you're facing. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, notice now, which effectually, I love that word, effectually, it has an impact. It's designed to work. In, uh, effectually worketh also in you that what? Believes. You're in the moment of tr- trouble. Patience has its home in tribulation. You come along and you say, you know what? I got this problem going on, but I know that I can endure it. I have a capacity and the grace and who I am in Christ. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, you do, dummy. Check it out. He didn't call you dummy. Okay. He says, look over here. 
Let's get reading. Let's access. Go go to chapter 1 now. You've been studying with us. You've been looking down through things. You've been checking it. You've got this resource going on in you from the Word of God. Bruce brought me a stack of books here. My friends, I love my friends. Okay? And I'm read, I begin, you begin to read down through it. You know what those are? Those are work of Spurgeon. The, the, the big set was Spurgeon's work. You know who that man is? He's a man. You know what I do? I read down through that, and I go over, and I start running the verses, and I go, okay, he's a little off there. Oh, oh, oh that was good. I'll write that one. And you know what I do? That word gets in you. Trouble comes, and you know what you know? I got patience. I have the ability to endure this. Because I know that it's going to work out in the end. Redound to the glory of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Remember without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and what? Patience of hope. Come over to chapter 3, verse 3. Look at this patience of hope. Watch Paul develop it here that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. What do they know? They know the reality of the trouble, don't they? But notice how Paul says this, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. The patience of hope develops out into this issue that we will not be moved. Verse 8. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. You don't depart. You don't fall apart. You don't quit. The patience of hope, that's a wonderful term. Picks up the three factors of of spiritual maturity. But the patience of hope is talking about a life sustained by the hope we have in Christ. And you know what it says? Don't you dare quit. Don't you be moved away. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 4. 2 Thessalonians 1, 4. So that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your, what? Patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. See, I have patience and endure It's all connected. Come back with me. We're going back to Romans quickly. Get Colossians 1 and Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse 16. Go there. Ephesians 3, verse 16. Ephesians 3, verse 16. Paul praying here, he says that that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. The spirit is working, one of his, Colossians 1, the spirit works in your inner man. He uses doctrine to come in and help with the dilemma you're in. You know, when, when you, you know, when you don't know what to do, you know what to do. Get in a book, start reading. Study it out. Figure it out. Say, hey, Lord, you know what? I got this problem, you know. Rick won't quit yelling at the guy at the, at the McDonald's line. What do I do with him? Forgive him. <laughs> Work it through. Colossians 1, verse 11. Strengthen with all might. How do we get strengthened with all might? It's by the Spirit in the inner man. Ephesians 3, 16. This is the parallel verse. According to his glorious power, unto what? All patience and longsuffering with, ain't that a kick, with joyfulness. You see, folks, we're to have godly patience And it's possible, come back there to Romans 5, it's possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. So just as Paul is reminded in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient, you and I in Romans 5, we're just learning here that guess what? His grace is sufficient. And in the tribulation, we got to know some things about it, that it is real and that there are results. Now, we got the first one. The patience is going to come from the comfort 
given to us by the Holy Spirit as he's working through his word. Okay? Now, hopefully we'll get the next two next week. I ain't promising nothing, but we'll get there, okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for who we are in your son, for everything that you've given, for the resources that you've given to us in your son. And Lord, I just pray that we would learn to access it and then be reminded in the moment to access all of those provisions. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we'll see.